the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. To the show, the Friday show, which means we have made it to the end of another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, even church questions on the beginning of a weekend. Uh, all you have to do is provide the phone call. 210-340-9585 is our main number. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free by dialing uh, 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Um, and uh, you can also uh, use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. But as always, if you are driving in your car, remember the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands for you. will be connected directly to our studio producer. Boy, we have a lot going on tonight. I'm going to be teaching uh, one of my favorite passages to teach. Now, it's, 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 I hope, encouraging and an opportunity for an exhortation for the body here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, it's Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 10 through 16, but the real focus is going to be on verses 13 and 14. Um, just that's, that's where we're headed in these last days. We need to be focused on the work that God has called us to do. So that's tonight here at Calvary Chapel. You can join us live and in person, or you can watch us at calvarysa.com during the live stream. And then I'm going to be in the book of Acts on Sunday. Uh, We're in Acts chapter 3, or Acts chapter 4, I think. Chapter 4, I think. Anyway, um, really great studies. I love the book of Acts. Okay, chapter 4, I'm being told. We're in chapter 4. Okay, here is our first question today. Our first question comes from Mick from our email inbox. He says, I do not at all believe that it is bad for Christians to use the things God has blessed us with doctors and medicine. In the Bible, we see frequent references to the use of doctors and medicine. More importantly, I see nothing in God's Word that suggests it's wrong to turn to doctors or medicine. Just as an off-the-topic, off-of-my-head example, Paul suggests to Timothy that he use wine for medicinal purposes with his stomach issue. I want to remember something about that, Mick, and this is off the point of your question. Uh, water was really bad in the ancient world. And to me, with his stomach issues, uh, Paul's saying, you know, little wine w- would help you, a little less water, which is just perhaps the opposite that we would uh, deal with in our country. But remember, there's people all over the world that can't get good water. Okay, back to your question. 
Uh, However, I also know that as Christians, we should always give God a chance to show off. So whether we always reach for the ibuprofen or Advil versus prayer and relying on God for healing, how do we know which one to do and when? Um, Make not only our doctor's reference, but but one of the things that just is such an encouragement to me, as I get older, this stuff's really important. But you remember that, that Paul, the apostle, was given his own doctor who traveled with him uh, by the Lord. Uh, Luke, the doctor, Luke, the physician, traveled with him. And and not only did Luke do a lot of medical ministry, um, but he would be there to attend to the needs that the Apostle Paul had as he struggled with all of the beatings and whippings and all of the other things that he got. So um, uh, doctors are important. I, I like that because, as you know, uh, we've got a, a, our own doctor's office here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh, it's called Malta Medical. And uh, it's husband and wife doctor team. It's a fully staffed family practice doctor's office. Uh, and it's absolutely free. No insurance is necessary. Uh, money is never exchanged uh, at all. Um, we just want to be able to, to minister to people who otherwise can't go to doctor, can't afford insurance. And obviously we're coming up on 10 years now and uh, the, uh, the, the, the practice is thriving. Now, again, thriving not monetarily because we don't accept any money for it. Uh, but I often tease that, hey, just like the Apostle Paul, God loves me, gave me a doctor, two of them, in fact, and then a whole staff of, of medical professionals there as well. So doctors are good things. Doctors are really, really good things. Now, your question seems to be prayer or doctors, and the answer is do both. Um, The first thing any of us ought to do when we're sick, when we're feeling well, when we injure ourselves, whatever it is, the very first thing that we ought to do is pray. Give God a chance to do something. Ask him to touch us and heal. Um, But at the same time, we don't want to be uh, silly about things and, and and refuse to go to a doctor. There are religions, of course, and extreme positions where people will say, well, if you go to a doctor, if you take medicine, that you're lacking in faith. None of that is true. Uh, all we have to do is be reasonable. Look at the Bible for the way it's written. And there's often prayer for the healing of sick, Um, But there's also references, as I said earlier, to doctors and physicians being able to help. So uh, that's that's the answer, Mick, to your to your question. So, um, yeah, I get a headache. I take Tylenol. Um, But I also pray. I also pray, and I really want to pray. One of the things I like to do here, and this is just just me, but, um, you know, we have a free school here as well. And when you've got kids sitting outside and they've got that I'm sick look on their face and they're waiting for mom or dad to come and pick them up uh, and take them home, um, I, I always like to ask them, has anybody prayed for you yet? And if they say no, I want to be the first one to do it. I want to be the first one to say, let me pray and then, then I'll just ask Jesus to touch his little body or touch her little body and make him feel better. And I ask for the Lord to do it quickly and completely. And you'd be surprised how many times God honors those prayers. And I mean honors them immediately. And other times he doesn't. So we don't know who's going to get healed or when we're going to get healed. But we should do both things. I think we should be wise and consult doctors. But I also think that we should be even wiser and first and foremost, always go to the Lord. You know, um, um, Mick, I think it, it, people remember just over the Thanksgiving holiday, I had uh, a really bad case of flu. Now, I've never had the flu in my life. I'm, I'm a thousand years old and I've never had the flu. And, uh, you know, for the first time in my life, I was almost too sick to pray. I mean, I I would say, help. You know, I could do, I could, I could get that out. But um, other than a situation like that, when something is going wrong or when something's not right with me physically, uh, the first thing I want to do is run to the Lord and, and ask him to touch and heal. There was a king, a good king, a very good king by the name of Asa um, um, in Judah. And he died from a disease in his feet. It's presumed to be gout. 
and and it got so bad he died and and gout is a very painful painful illness to have to deal with and um the 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 way it's reported to us in especially the chronicles account which is god's perspective on the king's history um it, the implication is is pretty clear um you went to doctors but you didn't ask me for help and god is basically saying look if you'd asked me i would have touched and healed you but you didn't ask me you went to doctors and of course he died so that is uh, my counsel. Thank you very, very much, Mick. Here's a question from Jerry from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, I wanted to know your thoughts. In Missouri, a group of religious leaders who support abortion rights filed a lawsuit Thursday challenging Missouri's abortion ban. One religious leader said, I'm here today because none of our religious views on abortion or anything else should be turned into our laws or should be enshrined into our laws. Is he right? Should we separate law and church? What are your thoughts on professing Christians agreeing with abortion and pro-choice positions? I don't mean to sound cynical or mean, but I believe the Lord will have a special place in hell for sheep and wolves clothing like these kind of religious people. Jerry, you make your your, your thoughts known <laughs> pretty clearly. Um, let me say a couple of things. We Christians, we have to stand for a righteous position. And while we understand that our Constitution protects all citizens, uh, we who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have got to be able to stand up and say, this is wrong and this is right. Part of the problem in the world that we live in and the reason things have gotten uh, as as far outside of the norm as they have is because Christians are not standing up and saying, no, you can't kill babies. That's wrong. You know, when a woman stands up and says, it's my body, my choice, um, we, we have to challenge people. Say, what about the body of the little baby? that you're carrying in your womb. You know, you can fool yourself and say it's just a fetus or tissue. But the reality is, you know it's a baby and you can see it um, uh, on on sonograms. So uh, we've got to take a stand. Um, when when uh, the Supreme Court was considering uh, marriage between gay couples um, and, and made it the law of the land in 2015, there simply weren't enough Christians who stood up and said, this is wrong. God invented marriage. God gave it to mankind as a gift. And God gets to govern the rules. We did not stand up. Now, that is not, in my view, political involvement. I've said on this program in response to these kinds of questions, Jerry, many times, that our political involvement, we ought to vote. That's our political involvement. But we need to remember that this is not our kingdom. Our kingdom is from above. Having said that, We've got to be able to publicly and loudly take positions on, on morality. Um, the things that are going on in this world are simply immoral, and you see how quickly they have spread and how quickly uh, things are getting even worse. Uh, so it's not a political position. It's a righteousness position. And so you ask me what I think about those, um, uh, and they would be liberal Christians, and by that I mean probably not real believers at all. Um, uh, it is impossible, in my view, for a Christian to say, I agree with the woman's right to murder a child. We simply cannot do that. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The Spirit, if we will submit to him, will lead us into truth. And this is a black and white issue. We cannot support the murder of the innocent. It's that simple. The same thing is true with gay marriage and now the transgender issue, which seems so big it's eclipsed even um, the, the rights of, of, of uh, homosexuals in our country. We've got to be able to stand up and say this is wrong. As sure many of you seen in the news um, yesterday, there was a, uh, a, a hockey game. I, I might do it wrong. I think it's the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, uh, they had a gay pride day. All these major league sports teams are, um, are, are really bowing down before uh, the LGBTQ community. And uh, what they wanted all of the players to do is to wear gay pride um, uh, jerseys. And there was a man who is a Russian Orthodox Christian. Uh, one of the players, one of the well-known players on the team, 
Um, he said, I, I'm just not going to do that. So he's going to skip the warm-ups. They would go out in the warm-ups in those gay pride uh, jerseys and then come out in the, to, to, to start the game in their regular jerseys. And he said, you know what? I respect everybody's right to make a choice. I'm not telling anybody what choice they should make. But I am a Christian, and this is my religion, and I simply cannot affirm um, um, that lifestyle as being okay. So they can have their thing. I, I'm just—he he didn't make a big deal about it going out on the ice in a, another jersey. He just stayed in during the warm-ups, and then to start the game, he was out, and he's getting hammered by people. Um, on the other hand, uh, the sales of his jersey. Uh, at about $200 a piece. The sales of his jersey uh, have just skyrocketed, and that's just National Hockey League fans supporting his right to be faithful to what he believes are his religious views. And you see, that's the world that we live in because we've not stood up and said, this is right and this is wrong. This isn't a matter of politics. This is a matter of right and wrong. So, um, uh, Jerry, by and large, I'm with you. Um, I'm, a, I'm a little bit um, disconcerted by your uh, last saying. I believe that the Lord have a special place in hell for sheep and wolves clothing, um, like these kinds of religious people. Um, we we know that deepest darkest blackness is reserved for him, but but here's where you need to be careful, Jerry. Uh, you sound like that almost delights you, and it should really break our hearts. Anybody who is going to be consigned to hell, whether it's the deepest darkest blackest part of hell or or, or any part of hell, um, that should break our hearts. And the tone of your email sounds like that makes you angry. It's like, okay, well, get them, Lord. And, and, and remember, Isaiah 28 says that judgment is a strange work for God. He doesn't want to judge them. That means we need to be um, men and women with the same heart that he has. And, you know, when uh, the Great Tribulation um, really kicks in uh, uh, before the second series of judgment, uh, the Bible says there's silence in heaven for half an hour. It's it's simply the, the the heart of God over having to judge the people on such a large scale. And we need to have that heart. Instead of being delighted by the fact that they're going to get theirs, what we really ought to do is um, pray for them. We need to pray for them. You know, we who call ourselves Christians, liberal, woke, progressive or otherwise, um, we're accountable. And we don't want them to pay. We want them to get saved. So pray for them to get saved. Again, this is an issue, Jerry, right and wrong. This is not a political issue. Thank you for the question. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thank you for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, Cindy. I have two things. Cindy, something's wrong with your phone. Oh, is it? Is it okay? It's cracking. I think I can understand the question, so... Is it cracking now? Yeah, it is. I'm sorry. Do you want me to try calling back? Uh, yes, do that. that it's too bad, Cindy. Thank you. Okay, let me go to a question while Cindy is doing that. Here's a question that I received from George from our email inbox, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to omit the name of the church that he uses, um, and and I'll just deal with this generally. Pastor, on I'm used to going to a church where they teach verse by verse. Good for you, George. Uh, he, then he says I've gone to visit uh, this. <laughs> I almost said the name of the, just okay a church several times. Pastors, good teacher and uses biblical scripture with cool sermon titles. However, aren't pastors entrusted to teach the Bible verse by verse? I hear that's happening a lot where churches are having cool sermons and topical messages. Should people leave a church like that one? Are topical messages and cool sermons okay? Maybe I'm looking at this all wrong. Thanks. George, uh, you know, there, there are, verse by verse is not a mandate in the Bible. We, we, we are commanded to teach the counsel of God. 
uh, I listen to some people who don't teach verse by verse. Um, they don't go all the way through the Bible. I think that's unfortunate. Uh, obviously, we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And um, and it takes us a long time to get through books. But um, there's a lot of people who just never learn to teach that way, as I've never learned to teach doing topical, to use your phrase, cool sermons. Um, um, I, I just, I, that's, I can't do that. And yet they would look at the way I teach and say, well, I can't do that. Um, I would disagree with them, and I think I could show them how to do it. But um, I think it's important to understand there are different styles. Charles Stanley, um, the older he got, the better he got. I love listening to Charles Stanley, and he's not a verse-by-verse teacher. Uh, uh, Tony Evans is, is, is not a verse-by-verse teacher. He does topical sermons. But he's not pulling any punches, and he's being very direct with his people. I think the idea that you're referring to is is what I call easy listening sermons. In other words, I don't want to offend anybody. And those are an offense to God. Those are an offense to God. And I know the church that you're talking about. I actually know the pastor there just a very little bit. We've only met a couple of times very quickly. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met. Really engaging and obviously very gifted. Uh, But in this particular case, um, they don't want to tell people about sin. They don't want people to feel bad or to feel convicted. They they want people just to say this is a cool place to come to church. And those are the churches that are the biggest churches, George. So uh, while I think it's a horrible, horrible thing, and I think these pastors are going to stand before God, and, and I think the question they're going to answer is, well, were we embarrassed of my word? Were you ashamed of what I said that people needed to do in order to belong to me? I think they're going to have to answer that question. I'm not doubting their salvation. I'm just thinking their motives are probably all wrong. Remember, this is Jesus' gospel. We have no right to change it. We have no right to change it. What we need to do is communicate the apostles' doctrine, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. That's the model for the church. And sadly, a lot of churches have deserted that. You know, I want to be like the Apostle Paul. I want to be able to say, when it's time for me to step away from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, I want to be able to say to my church, I have not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God. We've done that. I want them to know they're accountable for it. And I want to be able to stand before the Lord and say, I was unashamed. I was unashamed of your word. And we shared it all. So I hope that makes some sense for you, George. Thank you very, very much. Now let's try Cindy again on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling back. Hi, is that any better? Much better. Oh, good. I, I've moved over somewhere else. Okay, so I have Second Chronicles twenty nine thirteen. I found something kind of interesting, and it's talking about the descendants who Hezekiah is having working on the temple. And it says, from the descendants of Asaph, Zechariah, and I think it's Mataniah. Now, my question is, is that the Asaph that wrote some of the Psalms? Because I think if it is, how totally cool it would be for, for, for the ancestors, or for Zechariah and Mataniah, to know that Asaph had some of his uh, Psalms in the Bible. I, I'm just fascinated by that. The second thing is, I was thinking about Hezekiah, and whoops, my, okay, I have my little ducks in a row, and they're scattering. Okay, here, I got it. <laughs> Second Kings 18.14 is when the king of Assyria comes to Hezekiah's door, you know, and he says he's going to, you know, overrun him and everything, you know, take over, and, and, and Hezekiah says, I have done wrong, withdraw from me, and I will pay whatever you demand of me. And I'm wondering if right then, if Hezekiah was just kind of thinking quick on his feet and thinking that, well, I've got this really bad king in front of me with his army, so why don't I give him some money and pay him off and buy myself some time in order to uh, reinforce my my uh, kingdom? And if maybe those were some of the things that could have been going through Hezekiah's mind because we were talking on Wednesday or a couple Wednesdays ago. Yeah, about thank you, Cindy. That, that, that he'd um, 
you know, what, that he lost a little bit of faith, and I'm just thinking that maybe he was thinking on his feet. So I'm going to get off the phone okay. and listen <laughs> to you. Bye. Yeah, Cindy, he, he was he was not thinking on his feet. It was a, a lapse in faith. It's the only uh, real fault that Hezekiah um, is connected to. And, you know, it just it shows you how real our Bible is. I just did this Bible study this past Wednesday, and, um, um, it, you know, Hezekiah, just like you, Cindy, just like me, um, sometimes when things aren't going well and the circumstances around you are really, really frightening, um, it's it's easy to get scared. It's easy to get your eyes off the things of God. And that's what he did. Remember, um, in, in the previous chapter, um, or the previous Bible study in, in, on Wednesday night, we talked about Hezekiah's reforms and, and some of his reforms were um, were the very things that he he gave to the king of Assyria, and he just shouldn't have done it. What he should have done is gone to the Lord and said, "You know what, Lord, I've I've, I've gotten rid of the high places. I'm trying to be obedient, and now this army that looks like there is the biggest army in the history of the world up to that point in time. They're 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 trying to kill me. They've they've already wiped out Samaria, and it doesn't look good for us." And, and he should have said, Lord, I'm in your hands. Now, he's going to do that with the same army a little bit later. But this was just a lapse in faith, Cindy. So, no, he wasn't thinking on his feet. This wasn't him being being smart. This was just him. The other question about uh, uh, Asaph, that is the Asaph, the Asaph's descendant. That is the Asaph who is um, part of the book of Psalms. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. We'd love your calls. 340-9585. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final half hour of the week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is an anonymous question. This question makes me sad. What's the point of trying to be holy when there's nothing good in my flesh? I hate that I fall short and see no point in trying harder. Uh, Anonymous, this is a place where you really, really need to take the Apostle Paul's advice. 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Because this is an impossible question for a real Christian. Now, giving you the benefit of the doubt. Um, maybe you're just discouraged. Maybe you're just trying to do better and you've failed so many times you're discouraged. But, but here's something I can tell you for sure. You are under a spiritual attack. And what you need to do is respond by faith in the Word of God. The point of trying to be holy is simple. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Paul tells us to find out what pleases the Lord and do that. Um, the fact that there's nothing good in my flesh ought then to give you a greater appreciation for the power that raised Christ from the dead that lives in you because there's more power in you than there is coming from this world or even coming from your crummy flesh. Um, in, in other words, you can overwhelm the, the temptations that are in your life. You can live a more than conquer life. Now, Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're, you're living under the condemnation of an enemy who wants to destroy you. So it's real simple. The point of trying to be holy is because we want fellowship with God. Tonight in my Bible study, Paul is going to say, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, that includes failures, forgetting what is behind I press on, and so that's what your focus has got to be. You know, so often we sort of deal with the fact that we're flesh, we have a sin nature, as long as we're in this body we're going to sin, and we think, well, well, if I can't be perfect, why even try? 
um, we're quenching the work that God the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. That's the whole point of First John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he, God, is faithful to forgive you of your sins and powerful and faithful to cleanse you, purify you from all unrighteousness. So here's the thing, Anonymous. When you give in to your flesh, when you fall, you got to hate it. I mean, you got to hate it. And then you can say, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. But do you realize that the reason you fell is because you walked away from Jesus. You were closer to the temptation than you were to Jesus. You know, walking through this world is a battle. That's why Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God. That's why I keep saying on this program, uh, virtually daily, at some point, just be with Jesus. In his presence is the fullness of joy. And then we also are told in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So here's the thing. I'm grateful to God for being stronger than my weakness. I'm also content understanding my weakness. You know, I've been walking with the Lord next month. It will be 32 years. And I realize just how far from God I am. Not in relationship, but I mean, my flesh doesn't get any better. My goodness, if I took your line of of reasoning, I, I would think, well, you know, after 32 years of being a pastor for almost 28 years... Gosh, I, I ought to be better than I am now. You'll never be better. Our flesh will never be better. So what do we do? We don't give up. Instead, we push on to get closer to Jesus. And if we'll do that, Anonymous, then the power that raised Christ from the dead will be available to each and every one of us. And we'll overcome those sins and temptation. So either there's a lack of understanding, you don't know what Jesus has accomplished for you, or you don't have enough faith to believe it. And so you got to open your Bible. you got to really dig in. you got to literally strive daily to be in the presence of the Lord. Because otherwise you're going to keep sinning and then you're going to get to this hopeless, helpless place all over again. So, I don't like falling short, but when I do, I love God's infinite grace. Paul, in writing to Titus in chapter 2, says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, referring to the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright lives in this present age. You see, grace teaches us to overcome our flesh. I hope that makes sense to you, Anonymous. That's a troublesome question. Here's another one that makes me sad. This one is from Jeremiah. He says, I don't feel God's love for me. Is there something wrong with me? Jeremiah, God has proven beyond any doubt that he loves you. Beyond any doubt at all. He died for your sins. They they hung him on a cross. He could have come down. They challenged him to, and he refused to, and he did it. The Bible says, for the joy set before him. He did it, Jeremiah, thinking of you. All of that to say this, it doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is what's true. And since God proved beyond any doubt, once and for all, I mean, beyond any doubt that he loves you, then you've got to have just enough faith to believe him to take him at his word. Now, you get close to Jesus, you walk in the presence of the Lord, and you're going to feel his love. But right now, you've got to mix faith. You know, when the Israelites died in the Exodus wilderness, Jeremiah, um, they died because of unbelief. They had the promises of God. They had the same promises that Caleb and Joshua had. But the promises didn't do them any good if they didn't believe them, and they didn't. And right now, I'm asking you to believe. Look at the evidence. He proved he loved you once and for all, and that ought to settle the question. I don't know what your expectations are. If you felt God's love, maybe it's circumstances. I don't know. 
what's going on in your life. But this is an issue that has to be settled, and it has to be settled once and for all, Jeremiah. Right this moment, it's got to be settled to the point where you truly understand that he loves you, and that's the one thing that will never change. So please, please, please ask the Lord to increase your faith. Get in your Bible and believe the promises of God. Here's a question from Daniel from our email inbox. Uh, He says, Dallas Jenkins, the creator of The Chosen, stated that he absolutely believes Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. But he explained that in his portrayal of Jesus in his show, his personal belief and approach is that Jesus, as 100% man, didn't constantly walk around with God goggles on. And then parenthetically, he writes, for example, that Jesus probably tripped and stumbled on rocks just as much as anyone, even though he is the one who holds creation together and knows where every rock is. Dallas believes Jesus was often granted wisdom from his father that could only come from God on the throne, which allowed him to know the things we see in certain gospel passages, but that there were other times he didn't know. Again, parenthetically, such as asking where Lazarus was buried and asking who touched him while he was on the way to heal Jairus' daughter. And then he continues, and that Jesus specifically says there are some things only the Father knows. Dallas goes on to say that he holds fast to Philippians chapter 2, um, which is verse 6, which is who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, and wants his portrayal to focus on the humility of Christ and really ponder the question, what was it like for Jesus to be 100% God and 100% man? And, of course, all the while reminding everyone that this is just a TV show and to go and read the Gospels. What are your thoughts on this, the idea of Jesus always walk around with God goggles, as Dallas put it, versus how Jesus is portrayed in his show? Uh, Daniel, I've, I'm, I've caught up with the show. I've watched the uh, all the episodes through, I think, episode six in in, uh, in season three. And I think overall uh, the, the series is excellent. Now, I've got some difficulty. I'm a Bible teacher. And um, I think I think Dallas Jenkin sort of blurs the lines a little bit between uh, Jesus, who was 100% man, Jesus, who laid aside his deity, as Philippians chapter 2 indicates, and he walked this earth um, every day, just like you and I do. He did it to teach us complete dependence on his Father. And then in order for us to be able to fulfill our mission, he sent us the Holy Spirit so that we still have that same connection and that, that, that we have the power uh, available to us to walk through this earth. But Jesus as 100% man, um, I'm sure he tripped. It's not like since I created everything, I know where every rock is. I, again, you, you brought it out. He didn't know the hour when he was here. He does now, the hour of his return. Um, but in the same way, when he came to Lazarus's home, um, the, the the tomb would have been in the back somewhere off the, in the distance, and there's nothing at all wrong with him saying, "Okay, uh, where's the tomb? Uh, take me to Lazarus." Um, he asked people questions. What do you want me to do? Uh, he asked, "Lord, I want to see." The blind man said. And so he he didn't know everything as 100% man walking on this earth because he laid aside his deity and the benefits of deity. Likewise, um, Daniel, he, he didn't, um, he never used the power of God for his own benefit. Jesus got hungry. Um, Jesus got tired. Uh, he, he never just sort of gave himself a quick shot. And, and say, okay, I'm going to be okay. Uh, he didn't do that. Uh, he did that by choice. So I think the portrayal, by and large, is faithful. And the way you explained it, using Dallas Jenkins' words, I think uh, is pretty um, a pretty consistent portrayal. Uh, Jesus said himself, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. Jesus never had an independent thought in this and in, in his ministry here on earth. Remember, he was 100% God, but the deity was veiled. And he walked this earth just like you and me, completely dependent on his father. Now, having said that, 
there are some places where I think Dallas Jenkins has gone way over the top. And in particular, I think the thing that bothered me the most about uh, The Chosen so far is in the episodes leading up to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, because the, the the portrayal of Jesus was that he was really anxious. Uh, he even enlisted Matthew's help uh, in the program. Um, uh, it, they showed him rehearsing it. You know, he, he's he's writing the speech. Matthew is actually doing the dictation. And they showed him rehearsing it. And he was really nervous about it. And certainly that's not the case because of the verses I just quoted. I only say what I hear my father say. So in other words, Jesus, when he was delivering messages, when he was proclaiming the word of God, he didn't have to to, to do what I do. You know, I spend a bunch of time preparing for Bible studies. He didn't have to do that. He was simply communicating the message as delivered to him by his father in heaven. And I think that was really um, bordering on being dangerous. Um, um, but, but again, um, there is dramatic or creative license here. And, uh, I think on the whole, the series of chosen, uh, has been a, a really good portrayal. But remember, um, there's other things in the chosen. Uh, Matthew is, is on the, on the autism spectrum. Um, that certainly wasn't the case. Um, Peter had a gambling addiction problem from, from the very early episodes. And, and there's, there's just no possible way that, that that's communicated to us or even suggested to us in the Word. So um, I think, uh, Daniel, what's bothering you is that Jesus may be tripped or... Um, um, no, Jesus didn't do anything independent of his Father. And that's very important for us to learn from, because as he depended on his father, so too must we. I know you couldn't hear it because we muted you, but that little moment of silence was me sneezing, so I, I apologize. Daniel, good question. Thank you. Give Dallas Jenkins a little bit of grace, and um, um, I'm sure if I would have written The Chosen... Um, People would have found a lot of fault with my creative license as well. But I didn't, he did. Good questions. Here's a question from Daryl. He says, is repentance a work? And if it is, are we at least partially saved by works and grace? Daryl, I want you to write this in your brain. We are saved by grace through faith. And that, the faith, is a gift from God. Even the faith we don't have, it's a gift from God. So we're saved by grace. Repentance is a response to God's grace. It's not a work. Now, you're, you're either on the Calvinist spectrum or you're listening to a Calvinist who's saying, no, we can't repent, we're totally depraved, we're dead people walking around, and we can't believe and we can't repent uh, unless God makes us do it. No, repentance is a response to the grace of God. And so we are saved as clearly as the Bible can, can put it, by grace, through faith, and there's nothing else that has to happen. Now, if we meet Jesus, the Holy Spirit convicts us, and we know we're a sinner. That's, that's a requirement of being saved. You've got to know you need to be saved. Um, we also understand that we come to this holy God, and we can't continue to live willfully unholy lives. That's what repentance is. One day I was walking after, after f my flesh, the world that we live in, and the next moment I'm following Jesus. That's what repentance is. It's a U-turn in life that is not a work. It is a response to what God has done. So, Daryl, uh, be very careful of who you're listening to. Um, the Calvinist perspective is going to change a lot of things for you, and they're not for the good. Dave asks the question, Pastor, how should we approach a non-believer who is sinning? They don't think they're doing anything wrong. Um, Dave, they know they're doing stuff wrong. I mean, everything I did before I got saved, I knew it was wrong. I just didn't care. So here's the thing. Their hearts are hard. Their consciences are seared. 
And so they think they're okay because they want to think they're okay. So when you see somebody who's sinning, you share the gospel with them. And then the conversation's over. Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. He didn't stay dead, which proves that he alone has the, the, the power, the authority to forgive sins. And if you ask Jesus into your heart, your whole life will change. And then leave him alone. Pray for him or pray for this person. Um, but believe me, they know they're doing something wrong. And, and you know, we share the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, uh, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Um, we share the gospel. The Holy Spirit then goes chasing the person with whom we shared. And, and then they're going to have a, a, a responsibility either to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit or harden their hearts even further and ignore it. But believe me, people know what they're doing is wrong. You know, it's interesting to me, we talked yesterday, Paul and I, in the program about uh, uh, gay marriage and the LGBTQ issues and things that we talked about at our Pastors of Shabbos class on, on um, Saturday. Um, you know, they, they know they're doing something wrong. You know, for years and years and years, people who practice homosexual behavior hid in the shadows. They were ashamed. They knew that if it became public, they would get fired, or they knew that that uh, that they they wouldn't be um, uh, they'd be looked at as outcasts. I mean, this is not acceptable behavior in the world that we lived in, and now we live in a time where now they're demanding that we all affirm that behavior, and the reason they're there is because their hearts got so hard in their behavior that now they can't stand even for anybody else to say what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. So all we do as Christians is keep saying it whenever we're asked. It's one of the really difficult situations when public Christians, especially Bible teachers, pastors, or preachers, don't want to deal with sin because they're afraid of offending anybody. You know, we live in a social media world and it's easy to get canceled for saying the kind of stuff that faithful pastors say all the time. But the truth is, we can't care about that. I want people to go to heaven. That's my only motive. I'm not better than they are. I'm not any less broken than they are. It's just that I've already met and received the fixer of my brokenness. And they're choosing to hold on to their brokenness rather than saying, God, I know this is wrong and I want to get right with you. So very important. You just deliver the gospel and then you leave them alone. And Dave, my final comment on this is, is simple. It's what I practice. When people stop listening, I stop talking. It's that simple. Hope that helps. Okay, here's a question from Bella. Love your name, Bella. Um, Bella says, if God is sovereign, why do we pray? We pray for a couple reasons, and God is sovereign. Um, that means he knows everything. But, but Bella, it means he doesn't cause everything. He knows everything. So we pray because he told us to. We pray because in a relationship, you've got to talk to the one with whom you're in a relationship. Uh, Jesus is my friend. That's what uh, uh, Jesus said. Uh, I call you friends. I, 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 I'm going to tell you everything. Um, if you have a friend, it'd be rude not to talk to him. That's what prayer is. Um, so we pray because he told us to. It's an, a matter of obedience. We also pray because it demonstrates that we trust him. We trust him. You know, the idea that, well, you know how it's going to turn out anyway, Lord, so I don't see any point in praying. That's a, a faithless expression. So what you do is you simply talk to him. We also pray because the more we talk to God, the more like God we become. The closer we get to the things of God, the farther we move ourselves from the things of this world. And one of the reasons that God wanted idols um, banished was because we become like the God that we worship. If I worship money, if money's my God, then I'm going to be cold and hard-hearted, selfish. 
if the God I've created in my mind is the God who only wants to bless and doesn't require me to walk with him in holiness, well, then I'm trampling on the grace of God. And see, talking to Jesus changes all of that, Bella. So talk to him. Prayer isn't just asking him for stuff. Prayer is to get your will to line up with his will. Prayer is never intended to get God to side with us. That's really, really important. Okay, last question for this week from Jackie. She says, I think I heard you say that the atonement doesn't guarantee healing, but it says it does pretty clearly. Will you change your view? Jackie, you have to really understand. Let the Bible interpret itself. By his stripes, you are healed, or by his wounds, another translation says, you are healed. That's not a reference to physical healing at all. We see the word healed in English, and we don't do any digging in or studying. Matthew 27 um, uh, and, and Peter in his epistles say the same thing. This is healed from the one fatal disease that is going to afflict everybody, and that's sin. By his stripes, he paid the price. He took our place. The punishment uh, that, that brought us peace was placed upon him, we're told in Isaiah 53. So there's no guaranteed healing no mention or provision for healing. Now, does God still heal? Yes, he does sometimes. But that has nothing to do with the atonement. So, Jackie, what I would say is you need to be a workwoman rightly dividing the word of God, be a good steward of God's word, and dig in because it's simply not there. Hey, thanks for tuning in. It's been a good week on the show. Have a great weekend in church. Remember, when you go to church this Sunday, find somebody who needs to be blessed. Find somebody that looks like they're hurting and be God's arms, be God's heart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be back on Monday. See you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.